This is Ask Governor Murphy, a WBGO news production in collaboration with WHYY and WNYC. I'm Nancy Solomon. With new COVID cases spiking above 2,000 every day, Governor Murphy is ordering new restrictions. All restaurants, bars, clubs, and lounges that serve food and drink must close their indoor, indoor premises for business by 10 p.m. The legalization of adult use marijuana is a matter of social justice, economic justice, and racial justice. I'm heartened by the president-elect's decision to make his first official announcement the creation of his coronavirus task force. We must restore a central focus on science and medicine as we fight this pandemic. What do you want to hear from the governor? Call us with your questions at 844-677-9283. Listeners, how do you feel about voting? How did you like vote by mail? Did you encounter problems? Tell us about your voting experience. We'll also be taking your questions via social media using the hashtag AskGovMurphy. And the number again is 844-677-9283. We have Governor Phil Murphy on the line. Good evening, Governor. Good evening, Nancy. Thanks for having me back. Ah, so happy to have you. And uh, I can't believe the election is actually almost over. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, that's correct. That's well put. Uh, In New Jersey, I think it was uh, overall a huge success. Uh, We continue to count the mail-in ballots through today, and then tomorrow we start to count the provisional ballots, the ballots that folks voted on in person on November 3rd, and we have to certify our numbers by November 20. So it is proceeding uh, as we had hoped, and and it's an all-time record turnout. I think that's the most important piece of this. Yeah, and let's just give folks the numbers. I mean, 4.3 million people sent in a ballot by mail or dropped it off. That's a 72% turnout just from the vote by mail alone. Yeah. That breaks a record. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, as you said, we'll count the, we'll find out about the provisional ballots. So you must be feeling pretty good about making that decision to send every voter a, a ballot. Yeah, I mean, I, I am, Nancy. And in fact, I think the 4.3 million number, which was as of yesterday, is probably going to creep a little bit higher, even just with the vote-by-mail ballots coming back. I am. I mean, it, it, we're living in a pandemic, and I know we'll talk about that uh, a lot tonight. Um, and so our, our hope and objective all along was to balance public health with the sacred right to vote. Um, and, it, and it feels like it, at so many levels it worked. I still want to make our system stronger. I still want in-person early voting. Would love to get back uh, to machine voting, which we, which requires an investment uh, on the state's part, and we're working with our legislative colleagues to try to come up with something. Uh, but for the most part, I think it's a huge success. So I believe what you're getting at is this idea of converting to having electronic poll books? Correct. Is, yeah. And so what... What would that take exactly to make that happen? Probably, and and we'd put put this out to bid, but the folks who are expert at this, it's about a $25 million uh, investment. And if you did that, and then you did the in-person, Solomon Monmouth County, Freehold is the county seat. So my vision of this, although I'm open-minded to the specifics, is you get the electronic poll book invested, you get it up and running, and you have, say, 30 days in advance of the election, Monday through Friday, Monday Monday through Saturday, you can in-person vote. 
uh, you could still get your ballot by mail if you'd like. And because we would have made that investment, you don't have to go through the the, the, the hoops that we're going through this year where you have to count all the ma- mail-in ballots and then you count the provisionals. The electronic book automatically tells you that you are already voted uh, or you have not yet voted, as, as the case may be. Listeners, do you have a question for Governor Murphy? Give us a call at 844-677-9283. You could tell us about your voting experience, uh, tell us about your pandemic experience. uh, And um, we're also tonight going to be talking about legalizing marijuana and, of course, any other questions you have for him. Give us a call at 844-677-9283 or tweet at us using the hashtag AskGovMurphy. So, uh, you know, overall, the election has been considered in New Jersey, considered to have gone well and been a success. But there were some issues, uh, particularly for communities of color, that weren't as prevalent as in white areas. Uh, Polling places all over Newark and a few in Patterson uh, opened late on election morning. That meant that people who needed to get to work had to leave without voting. Uh, Voters in Newark and Jersey City experienced long lines throughout the day, sometimes more than an hour. Um, As reported in NJ Spotlight, there were issues with drop box allocation. Newark had only two drop boxes, both near each other, while there were the same number of boxes in some suburban towns. I believe West Orange had two. Um, Do you think there are gaps or flaws in our election process that disproportionately impact black and other voters of color? How about how about take election process out of your sentence uh, and say in society the answer is yes uh, uh, emphatically uh, and again to say things went overall really really well doesn't mean that there weren't uh, bumps and that there weren't at the edges um, some some things that we need to tweak uh, I'll go back to our conversation a minute ago if you had in person uh, early voting and take Newark which is Essex County's seat. Um, and you just imagine what that's like if you had, I'm just make you know, 30 days, just take that as an example, uh, ahead of time. Th- that's just a game changer, an absolute game changer. Is it a game changer only in an urban community? No, it isn't only in an urban community, but it just opens up, um, uh, the, 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 you know, our job, I think is to open up democracy and not close it. That one opens it way up. And that's a, that would, uh, that would address a lot of the challenges that you've, you've just highlighted. All right, well, let's go to the phones. Uh, We've got Nathan from Montclair on the line. Nathan, you're on with the governor. Hi, Governor Murphy. How are you tonight? I'm good, Nathan. Thanks for calling in. So um, given what I understand to be the overwhelming uh, successful response of mail-in ballots for this election and turnout, do you see a future in New Jersey where uh, we become a pseudo mail-in first kind of state for voting or would your preference be to always see us in person first and yeah i think nathan i think nathan mail-in is it turned out to be a huge success um but i think it's part of the answer i want to get back uh to having machines um and and mail-in still a big component of that but that investment nancy and i were just talking about i think that's money it's a one-time expense but you live off of that for years if not decades 
Uh, it allows mail-in to continue to be a big piece of the uh, of the answer. Again, you add early voting. You then have in-person voting. And by the way, all of this has the footnote that we have to assess whether or not we're still in a pandemic. Uh, please God, we're not. We, we'll talk about that, I know, tonight. But putting that big issue or question aside, um, that to me is the, the combination that feels right. We've taken a lot of steps already to open up democracy. Nancy and I have talked about uh, online registration, which we now have. Uh, we have folks, uh, again, getting the right to vote who are on parole or probation. A 17-year-old uh, at the time of the primary, but turns 18 by the general, can vote. Um, so we're getting there. Uh, but I, again, I'm a big believer the, the wider the democracy is, the better it is. What about uh, having voter registration right up to same day as of the election? Open-minded. <laughs> uh, open-minded, assuming we have the technology that allows us to do that. Okay. Um, I'd, ha- I'd have that on the list as a consideration for sure. Okay, well, let's go to some of the questions we're getting on social media. Joe Hernandez, State House reporter for WBGO and WHYY, is here with us. Joe, what do you have? Hey, Joe. Yeah, here's... Hey there. Here's a question from uh, Leah in Manville. She says, what should the Democratic Party do if the Republicans in the Senate stand by President Trump in undermining the election or worse? I think many people fear this could happen. And if so, the Democrats will be powerless to stop it. And the name again was Leah? Yes. I mean, I think this is an embarrassment right now. I mean, it's, it's clear who won this election and it will only get clearer. Um, and this is, a, you know, should we be surprised by this? Sadly, no. I re- remember back, Nancy, uh, feels like a, it might, have, might as well have been 100 years ago, but in uh, Donald Trump's debate with Hillary Clinton, he refused in one of those debates to say that he would accept the results four years ago. Uh, and frankly, even when he won, he put up some idiotic commission to, to check on whether or not there were fraud, fraudulent voting, which led to absolutely nothing. I mean, this is ridiculous. The, the good news is we are a country not just of people, first and foremost, obviously, but of institutions and a, and a constitution. And this is not Donald Trump's call. Assuming he, listen, if he comes up with some evidence that's real, um, that's one thing. Uh, and we'd know that by now, overwhelmingly. Uh, he hasn't. Uh, I don't know how long it will take him. It's an embarrassment. It's also putting our country at risk. We're 71 days from inauguration. We got a pandemic. Our foreign adversaries are watching very carefully. I'm not sure why in God's name you're, you're firing your defense secretary uh, during a transition period when you know your foreign adversaries would love nothing more than to cause uh, ripples and, and cause tr- trouble for us. The whole thing is ridiculous, but the good news is it's quite clear what has to happen here, and I'm supremely confident that's exactly what will happen. And on the other side of the coin, um, you just look at the the vice president, now president-elect Biden's daily uh, uh, presence, pronouncements, the steps he's taking. He's taken the high road, the right road, uh, and it's frustrating as this is, we will get to the right place. Okay, let's go back to the phones. We have uh, someone, Governor, from your neck of the woods, Jeremy in Middletown. You're on the line with the Governor. All right. Uh, good evening, Governor. Hey, Jeremy. Nice to have someone from uh, the hometown here. Yeah, over in Leonardo. All right, man. Almost your neck of the woods. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering how you felt about the local election here in Middletown uh, with the Board of Education going to a pro-Trump group. Um, I know that 
Monmouth County went blue, and we're very happy about that. But here in Middletown, we're still like kind of a, a little bit of a red island. And I'm wondering yeah. if you think that speaks to the national picture. That's a good question, and I'm not sure we've gone blue yet in Monmouth. I hope we have, Jeremy. Obviously, I'm I'm uh, the governor, but I'm also the titular head of the Democratic Party. I, I still think some of those races are are um, uh, are st- still um, not decided. But Middletown, listen, it's a, for for the folks who don't know it, it's a it's a big community. Um, it's Jeremy. It's probably seventy five thousand folks. We'll know what the census results. Um, it's got a lot of little different pockets. Leonardo, where Jeremy's calling from, is one of them, um, uh, and it's a it's a it's a fairly complex community, um, and it hasn't, as a pure democratic matter, it, it has not been a home game uh, for our party, um, and, and uh, that's just a fact. Um, Monmouth County um, has been more red than blue over the past decade, as a general matter. Um, and listen, you know, I'm of the opinion, let's battle it out during election campaigns and present our cases, present our candidates. Uh, we'll, we'll disagree. That's America. That's the way it should be. And we go to the polls and we count every vote and we accept the result. And uh, if that's the result in Middletown, then, then whether I like it or not, that's the result. We accept it. We move on. Uh, and I think that's just the way it's always been in our country, and that's the way it has to continue to be. You know, this this was is the first time uh, that Monmouth County has gone for a Democratic presidential candidate, I believe, in a long time. Uh, what do you think is what? What do you see happening across the state in terms of, you know, we, we've definitely we're definitely seeing a trend towards. Uh, more Democratic voters in many of the suburban communities across the state. So uh, what do you think is at play here? What do you think is happening? And what do you think is in store for the Republican Party in New Jersey? Well, I can't speak for the Republican Party, but but certainly Joe Biden uh, and Kamala Harris ran extremely well in New Jersey, uh, materially better than I think almost uh, certainly better than uh, Secretary Clinton had run in 2016. As a party down ballot, we won races or we're still now competitive in races that are still being counted in places that we have not normally won. Uh, but over the past number of years, slowly but surely, uh, that's shifting. So, we're, yeah, do we still win in places that we have historically won in, in places like Hudson County and a lot of the communities in Essex County and now more recently in Bergen County? Absolutely. But we now have complete control uh, at the county level of Somerset County. Uh, we've got a very competitive special election race in Legislative District 25, which has been a bastion for the Republican Party, a competitive freeholder candidate in Morris County. Um, I, I think, Nancy, it's probably some element of this is a, is a uh, President Trump factor, I would guess. I also think, and we're not, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I think that pro-growth, progressive, stronger and fairer agenda that we have prosecuted, that we ran on, and that we've been governing with, uh, connects. Maybe folks realize it's not just progressive for be- the sake of being progressive, but that we believe just as strongly, uh, that we're proud progressives, but we believe just as strongly we've got to grow the economy. We've got to create jobs, invest in our public education, in our infrastructure, in our innovation economy. I think that, I think that is resonating. That would be my, my, my for, you know, early take. 
It sounds like maybe you're on the verge of telling us you're going to run for re-election next year. I, I've, I've, already, uh, I've already done that, but oh. I'll, I'm happy to reiterate that. How did I not know that? You've already announced? We did, we did announce uh, qu- quietly, um, and, and we'll, we're keeping it relatively quietly for the foreseeable future, but we're definitely running again. People have asked me, are you going to go to Washington? Uh, or even if they give you the the dream job, and my answer is very easy. I've got my dream job. I'm staying right here. I'm all Jersey all the time. Okay. Let's go back to the phones. We have Sandra from Robbinsville with a question for you. Sandra? Hey, Sandra. No, we're not quite ready for her. Um, I believe we're gonna we are gonna start talking about COVID. Okay, now we have Sandra. Let's go to her. Sandra, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, Sandra. Can you hear me? Hi. Yep. How are you? Good. How are you? Um, Governor Markey. Good. Thank you for your service. I uh, appreciate all the hard work that you've been doing. Thank you. Um, oh, my honor. My my question is about the um, uh, the additional shutdown. Um, uh, recommend, recommendations that you've made for you know indoor dining from 10 p.m. to uh-huh. 5 a.m. So yep. I'm a physician, and it, 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 I completely agree with all the steps that you've taken up to now. This, though, shut down from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. seems like a gesture, um, given that, at least to my knowledge, not that many people engage in dining in the, during those hours. I, you know, unless there are, you know, big bars in certain mm-hmm. cities that remain open, but it, it, it seems like something needs to be done, especially with the rising numbers, mm-hmm. and perhaps that's indoor dining completely, but uh, dining, you know, at 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. just seems like a, a gesture without, yep. like, um, you know, let me, let me, real uh, impact. So if I may address that, is that okay? Um First of all, the number of positive cases today, I looked this up just as I was getting on, the highest since April 23rd. Uh, and if folks think back to April 23rd, Easter was April uh, 12th. I mean, that was in the absolute hand-to-hand combat phase of the early wave. And we should come back to why this is similar, why it's different, and, and whatnot. But, Sandra, very good question. Robbinsville is a, a great community, one of my favorites. Um, the good friends of the mayor there and some families. It's not a gesture, uh, I promise you. This is based on the facts. Now, where, where, are, where is the bulk of the transmission coming from right now? I'm going to put, put this as, on, on the side for a second, but it's important. It's in private settings. So before I get to restaurants, I just got to appeal, Nance, to everybody. There's a lot of COVID fatigue right now. And folks, for whatever reason, and I get, I get it, I'm, I've got fatigue too, is when they're in a private setting, they're letting their hair down, and we cannot allow that to happen. And that's not forever here. I mean, the Pfizer vaccine announcement yesterday, I spoke to their CEO today. I was on with Tony Fauci on Saturday. There are vaccines that will not just be ready in like one pallet of them, but they'll be able to be broadly distributed by the spring. We just got to bear down over the next sort of four to six months, particularly as we're going more indoors. But what's happened, Sandra, it may not have happened in Robbinsville, but I promise it to happen in, uh, around the state, is these restaurants are turning into basically clubs at night. Folks are letting their hair down, uh, and as the hours go on, particularly around bars, uh, they're turning into situations which are, which are leading to uh, COVID-positive out, um, outbreaks. And so this is not a gesture. This is, this is based on data and based on science, 
And after the commercial, Nance, I'm happy to get into more of it if you'd like. Yes, we'll definitely talk more, Sandra, about the restrictions, what's causing this spike in cases, what New Jersey can do about it. All of that is coming up, but we're going to take a quick break and then we'll take more of your calls. I'm Nancy Solomon. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy. For Republican leadership, a moment of potential unity falls instead into baseless accusations of fraud and election stealing. Mitch McConnell and other top Republicans are jumping on the president's bandwagon, refusing to accept the results of the election, even as Biden's win solidifies with the final vote counts. How the GOP moves forward from here. I'm Tanzina Vega, and that's next time on The Takeaway, weekday afternoons at 3 on 93.9 FM. WNYC is supported by Flatbush Food Co-op, now offering fresh local turkeys, organic produce, and store-made pies for your holiday table. Open to the public with delivery and curbside pickup available. More at flatbushfood.coop. It's WNYC. Stay tuned. There is more of our monthly live call-in special Ask Governor Murphy just ahead. At 8 o'clock on 93.9 FM, it's the investigative series reveal. If you're listening on AMA 20 tonight at 8 o'clock, it is on point. Mostly cloudy tonight, low of about 61 degrees. It's WNYC at 720. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy, a WBGO News production in collaboration with WNYC and WHYY. Got a question for the governor? Call us at 844-677-9283 or send us your questions on Twitter or Facebook with the hashtag AskGovMurphy. And I'm Nancy Solomon. We're live with Governor Phil Murphy and taking your calls So we were talking before the break about this restriction, the 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. shutdown of restaurants and bars. Um, Let's talk about it more broadly. I mean, you know, now maybe we're getting upwards of 2,000 new infections a day. It could it just spike to three, as you said, and it could maybe it's going to stay up there. Um, I think it goes higher, unfortunately. So what what does it take to to shut down more and why what's holding you back at this point i know there are a lot there's a lot of pressure on you that a lot of businesses do not want this economy shut down yeah, again yeah and i uh, who could blame them given the misery that they've gone through I, at some point tonight I've, I've actually got some hot off the press uh, good news for small businesses so we should hit that at some point but um so nance um the numbers are going up uh, we don't take steps with just sort of empty symbolic uh, rationale. We take them because we believe, as best we can. By the way, we're not perfect, but we're we're making these decisions based on the data, the science, uh, because we think they are surgical and that they will uh, help push the numbers back. Will they push them to zero? Unlikely. Uh, we we never got to zero, even on our best days. I hope someday that'll happen. So, as I mentioned, Sandra's question is a good one. What was happening? People, particularly around bars, as the night wears on, they were letting their guard down. We had a lot of bartenders uh, coming in testing COVID positive, so we've taken seating away from bars. Uh, We've asked on indoor dining for restaurants to stop their operations at 10 o'clock. As compensation, if you will, for some of this, we are allowing restaurants indoors to locate tables more closely together as long as they've got barriers that are approved by the health folks. 
Uh, there's no impact on outdoor dining, no impact on takeout or delivery. Uh, we are cutting also down um, interstate or multi-state indoor sport tournaments, particularly in hockey, for whatever reason, we've been hit. So those are the steps we're, we're taking. In addition to pleading with people, please don't let your guard down, particularly in a private setting, particularly with Thanksgiving around the corner. We have advantages that we didn't have, Nance, in the spring, and I want to make sure folks hear that. We have enormous capacities, PPE, ventilators, beds. We have, most importantly, probably a lot more medical understanding of what this thing is and how to treat it. Um, we have uh, testing among the highest per capita testing states in America. And fourthly, I say this with mixed emotions, it's, it's, it's migrated to a somewhat younger demographic. That doesn't mean that our seniors still aren't exposed, folks who are up in age, but with, without question, it's migrated toward younger folks in a more meaningful way. The combination of all those things uh, means th those are strengths that we have that we did not have before, never mind pending uh, safe vaccines, etc. So we're in the thick of it. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, and we're going to continue to monitor every single, obviously every day we, we monitor it, but all the steps that we have taken or will take, we, we, we base on the facts and, and we'll take it from there. Okay, we have we heard from Sandra. Now we're going to hear from Sandra from Manasquan, who's on the line with you. Sandra? Hi, Governor Murphy. How are you? I, I'm good, Sandra. How are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you. Um, I'll keep it brief. Um, so uh, I work in the hospitality business. I lost my uh, job due to COVID back in March. Uh, oh. I work in corporate catering um, in, uh, in Somerset. And uh, my question to you tonight is, you know, I, I hear you talking about, you know, the end result with restrictions, but how are you going to really assist the hospitality workers in New Jersey to make it through the winter? Um, I mean, is it going to be through federal and local aid? I know that in a good summer, I live at the shore, they yep. have trouble, you know, making it through the winter. So, yep. so long term, what is, what is your plan to really help these, these, these businesses that are friends of mine? I've worked there. I mean, yep. it, it just kills me that they're struggling so hard no, it's, with, it's, with all of this. It's crushing. Um, let me t tell you, Nance, I mentioned I had some news, so this is probably a good point to raise it. Last, and this is only, Sandra, part of your, of your question, and there's two other pieces which I'll be brief on. So last month, our Economic Development Authority announced $77 million in grant money for small businesses in New Jersey affected by the COVID. Um, the response was, not surprisingly, overwhelming, and we received a lot more applications than the $70 million could cover. So hot off the press, and again, this is not going to solve all of our challenges, um, I can say that we're allocating now at least another $660 million, which will allow us, this is really good news, to get to every eligible applicant from last month's announcement, meaning that uh, we had, uh, with, this, with this incremental $60 million and a total then of $130 million, we will have, we'll be able to address every single small business uh, that, 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 that applied. So that's good news. But there's two other pieces here. Number one, it's really one big other piece, we need the federal government 
Congress, with a bill signed by the president, please God, in lame duck, a big stimulus bill that would have all sorts of, uh, address all sorts of needs, not just in New Jersey, in every state, by the way, red and blue, but especially to small businesses, especially those in hospitality, and to folks like Sandra who are unemployed. Uh, the, the U.S. government and Congress, to their credit, I think, did a pretty darn good job in the spring into the sort of early to midsummer, whether it was unemployment insurance, the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, lots of different steps that we're taking, coronavirus relief funds generally that we're still you know, doling out, uh, and then it stopped. The, the rug got pulled out from under us. So, you know, getting for Sandra the extended 600 bucks in unemployment, getting uh, more small business direct aid from the feds. There's no amount of money in any American state, whether flush or not, and there are very few that are flush these days, sadly. There's no amount of money at the state level that's enough. We need the feds to come in in a big way. And the long-term piece of this, Sandra, is we get a vaccine, uh, maybe multiple vaccines. We get therapeutics. Yeah, do our habits stay somewhat changed? Uh, we don't quite go back to the good old days, as it were, but we get to an entirely different, better place, and then you can rebuild aggressively jobs, the economy, restaurants, etc. Thank you, Governor. This is Ask Governor Murphy. I'm Nancy Solomon. Listeners, are you still staying at home? Or do you want more freedom to return to daily life? How has the pandemic affected you? And what question do you have for the governor? Give us a call at 844-677-9283. You can tweet your question using the hashtag AskGovMurphy. We have more questions coming in on social. Joe Hernandez, what do you have for us? Here's one from Maureen Parrott in Roosevelt. She says, is New Jersey enforcing a mask mandate in public facilities? NJ211 told me there is no requirement to put on a mask in public and there's no enforcement. Boy, I'm not sure who told that to Maureen, but the answer is we absolutely have a mask mandate, uh, especially so indoors, it's, it's black and white. You got to wear a mask indoors. When you're outdoors, it's when you can't properly social, socially distant, distance yourself. So if you're out walking your dog by yourself or you're out with your wife or husband, uh, that's not our, you know, I think, I still think you should be wearing a mask if you're outside, but that's not our, uh, that's not our focus, but it's when we're on top of each other and we can't properly socially distant outside. But unequivocally, we have, we, we, there will be, we don't have it yet. There will be therapeutics. We don't have them yet. So in the meantime, what we're left with is basic stuff, social distancing, masks, washing your hands with soap and water, um, uh, take yourself off the field if you don't feel well or if you've been exposed to somebody. Uh, and at the right point, go get tested. We have one of the most robust testing realities of any American state, if not the most robust. We're, we were, as, as I speak, working with the Trump administration to even make that a more a bigger and stronger testing regime. Get tested. That's bit the, it's basic, I know, folks. That's all we got. Uh, and, we, and just because you're inside your own house, just because you're having your Thanksgiving dinner, please don't let your guard down. I'd like to follow up with you about this testing because um, 
My understanding, and I, I think it was the New York Times is the source on this, has a chart listing uh, testing per 100,000 residents. And uh, New Jersey is at 468 per 100,000, and New York is at 713. Um, I've heard anecdotally from a lot of people that how difficult of a time they've had not difficult, but that it, it takes a long time to get a test and get your results in New Jersey, um, and that it's much easier to get a test in New York. So um, I guess I'd like to know a little more about why it is you think that New Jersey, you know, what are you basing it on that New Jersey's testing infrastructure is better than everyone else's? And, and what relationship does testing have to this spike of infections? Could we do better if we had more testing? I'm not sure of the numbers you're you're pointing to, Nancy, and I don't doubt, I'm not doubting your numbers, but um, per capita, we are consistently in the top three in the nation, and and depending on the day, number one, we're doing, I think, 45,000 tests a day, Uh, and that's another, as I say, that's a big difference in the reality uh, between today and eight months ago. Um, The numbers are not, and this is not our fault, this is the reality that the Abbott, these new 15-minute turnaround tests are not... As a, as a technology matter, are not the results are not plugged into the general health systems in America, either at the state or federal level. Um, that's another many thousands of tests that we're doing a day. Um, as I mentioned, we're, we're, we're on with the White House as we speak, trying to bulk that up even further. I'm not suggesting that, that some folks are not waiting, but the waits were, got ridiculous uh, in the early summer, early to midsummer, when other states in the nation uh, were exploding for the first time and the testing uh, capacities and, and reagents and whatnot were being diverted to those states. That came back, uh, came down uh, meaningfully. Um, I, I, I Anecdotally, turnaround time has gone up slightly over the past month as our numbers have gone up. Um, so I'm, I'm not I'm not denying your numbers, but I, I do know I can say with great confidence. Now is that is this is this a contributing factor? Um, yes and no. So when you test a lot of people, regardless of your positivity rate, if you've got positive tests, uh, you're going to get more positives. But the, sadly, or more importantly, the positivity rate how many people on a given day uh, who get tested are testing positive? Uh, you'll recall, Nancy, uh, a month to two or three ago. For us, that that was one and a half, two, two and a half percent, meaning that 98 percent of the people getting tested on a given day were testing negative. Uh, today, the numbers we announced today, eight percent are positive. Ninety, only 92 percent are, are turning out to be negative. So it is both a combination of more testing, without question, relative to uh, even a month ago, but certainly relative to the, to the spring. But it also, there's no question, community spread is afoot uh, when you get positivity rates at that level. Okay, you're listening to Ask Governor Murphy. Give us a call with your questions at 844-677-9283, or you can tweet at us using the hashtag AskGovMurphy. And we have another caller for you. It's Rebecca from Tenafly. You're on the line with the governor, Rebecca. Thanks so much. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, Rebecca. I wanted to... Thanks so much. I wanted to mention that I absolutely love the vote by mail and the Dropbox. I thought it was genius and fantastic, and thank you for that. 
Great. Um, my, quest- my question was about indoor contact sports for kids, which apparently are starting, um, particularly at the high school level, particularly basketball for me and my family that are starting December 3rd. And I'm just concerned about the safety for these kids with the 8% positivity rate you just mentioned, and these kids are playing without masks indoors. And I'm just wondering, you know, the, the thoughts behind that and if we can expect the that to change at all. It could. Honestly, it could, Rebecca. But right now, we've got fairly, uh, not fairly, probably among the most stringent um, restrictive levels in terms of the number of kids that can be, or, or anybody who's playing indoor sports can be in at the same time, no spectators. Um, and it appears as though it is uh, it is so far so good. And I, I say it appears as though because I mentioned hockey earlier. You may have heard me talk about hockey, and there's there's been a significant amount of hockey outbreaks. Um, it does not appear to be because of from the actual act of playing hockey, uh, but without question at multi-state tournaments, we saw, and, and not surprisingly, you've got more adjacent activities that go on. You're, you're gathering in the hotel room for the pizza uh, after the game. You're, you're traveling by nature. I don't think folks should be traveling right now unless it's essential. Um, so we're going to stay uh, on top of this, um, and and it's one that you know we look at obviously very carefully. We've had, you know, so far I'm not going to wood the school experience uh, is within a range of what we would have guessed it would be or expected it to be, um, but we watch that like a hawk, uh, and we watch the indoor anything indoors we watch like a hawk. We were one of the s- slowest states for a reason, folks. Deliberately, it was painful, but in terms of the public health realities, we were we, we were very incremental in how we've reopened our state. Outdoor stuff first, indoor stuff, and then at very strict capacities, indoor sports is an example of that. Um, and in some states, Connecticut went up to 75% of indoor dining capacity. We, we never got north of 25. Um, so I, I promise you, Rebecca, we're going to watch this very closely. Um, and if we have to take steps, we will. Um, but again, sports-related, any transmissions that we're seeing, we believe are from adjacent activities. And so that's the focus, uh, keeping capacities low on the sports and how many people can gather for the sport, and also cutting down the adjacent activity, which are typically in private settings. That, to us, is the formula right now. Okay, well, let's try to squeeze in another quick call uh, because it's about, you mentioned schools and COVID. Juliana from Wyckoff, you're on the line with the governor. Hey, Juliana. Hi, Governor Murphy. Thank you so much for taking uh, my call. And I just want to say that I am definitely a fan. You did an amazing job with the... uh, the mail-in voting. Um, oh, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, so I'm piggybacking off of the last call. Um, my son is uh, a high school student, and um, he has only been in school for seven days since the start of school in September. And um, twice there have been shutdowns because of sports, um, specifically football, which is outdoor, but it's unmasked, full contact. Um, and you know, the district uh, really cites uh, the NJ, I think it's the NJISSA or... NJSIAA, yeah. Julianne, yep. I need a question yes, from yes. you. Yeah, I will. Um, so in our hope to get everyone back to in-person learning, it's a little bit um, contradictory what's going on because um, the 
my son, you know, has had issues of just being um, remote. Yep. And he's kind of shy, and it's it's just been very difficult. So I don't know how to reconcile allowing these unmasked events that are over 100 kids, and then how are we going to get back to in-person learning quickly? Yeah. Okay, thank you, Juliana. We have one minute, Governor. Okay, so, um, Juliana, thank you for that. I'm going to have someone follow up with you, because I'd like to dig into the Wyckoff uh, experience explicitly. The sports transmissions that we're aware of uh, have not necessarily taken place outdoors, by the way, especially from the sport itself. So I, I need to understand what's going on there. And secondly, I'm, I want to get back to in-person uh, learning. I've got a son in high school who's also remote. Uh, it's much richer to do that, obviously, in person, but we got to do it safely and responsibly. Uh, and that's that's jo- that's job number one. But I'd love to get. Juliana, with your blessing, I'm going to get somebody to follow up with you. Dan Bryan will keep me honest and make sure that happens, and I'm curious to know what the facts are there in Wyckoff to understand a little bit better. Okay, thank you, Governor. And we we can return to in-person learning because I'm sure lots and lots of folks want to hear more. I'm Nancy Solomon. We're live with Ask Governor Murphy. Residents in one of Minneapolis's most diverse neighborhoods have been talking about the connection between race and health for decades. Access to care was a major issue for black people. In the 1960s, a health center opened that changed things in the community. People feel safe here. Could that clinic's focus on gaining trust be a model for the rest of the country? On the next Morning Edition from NPR News. Weekday mornings on WNYC. WNYC supporters include the Russian Tea Room. Indoor dining is back. Two floors of the Russian Tea Room are now open for a sensory dining experience. Table reservations and more are available at RussianTeaRoomNYC.com. WNYC is a media partner of Brooklyn Public Library, presenting the 28th Amendment Project, a crowdsourced constitutional amendment by Brooklynites. BKLYNlibrary.org slash BPL presents. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy, a WBGO News production in collaboration with WNYC and WHYY. Got a question for the governor? Call us at 844-677-9283. Or send us your questions on Twitter or Facebook with the hashtag AskGovMurphy. I'm Nancy Solomon, and we're coming to you live with New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy from the studios of, I'm in the studios of WBGO in Newark, and he's joining us from home, I believe. Is that true, Governor? That is true. I was going to ask you a question, Nancy. When do you think we're, we're both back in the studios? Oh, I'm looking forward to that, but um, I do not know. Um, yes, I suspect yeah, I'll leave getting the infection rate down to you, and then uh, we'll meet again. Bless you. <laughs> um, so I said we'd stick with schools, and yep. uh, I'm, I'm going to go now to a call. We have Kathy, uh, I'm afraid, she's from Rutherford. Kathy, you're on the line with the governor. Hi, um, thank you for taking my call. Um, first of all, my son voted for the first time. Hi, he <laughs> voted with absentee ballots, uh, so <laughs> we love that. Thank you so much. Oh, that's um, good. So here's my question. My question is, will there be any relief offered for the families who have to sort of straddle um, remote, having their children uh, school remote, but they may be themselves having to go back to work Um you know, there is, to me, a little bit of a socioeconomic um, disparity between those who can work from re- work remotely 
freely, uh, you know, have great yep. internet, don't have kids at home for schooling, and then when you when your kids aren't in school, what do we do for those people? Yep. Kathy, great question. I'm going to also have someone follow up with you and just make sure you know all the programs that are available. Listen, the, the, this I've said this before, COVID-19 didn't create the inequities but in our society, but it has laid them bare. Uh, and I mentioned job number one on schooling is, to, is safe, safe and responsible and protect public health. It's also, after that, it's high-quality education. But thirdly, it's equity and making sure that we've got enough of the programs in place, whether it's closing the digital divide or a huge amount of resources we put into daycare. Um, And and, and I'm not sure, Kathy, given the age of your kids, whether that's relevant or not, but there are uh, significant uh, funds available, particularly that are income means tested. Um, uh, I could go on. If you look at the number of kids who are suffering this child inflammatory syndrome, overwhelmingly black and brown kids, the fatalities are disproportionately relative to general representation. There are socioeconomic gaps. Um, And so um, I'm going to have someone follow up, Kathy, with you, and just to make sure you understand the programs that we do have in place, which are pretty significant, I have to say, um, that that address uh, some of the the issues that you're that you're talking about. But equity is a huge issue, and and it's yes, you're right. Some families um, either don't have kids, or they've got a setup which allows you to be able to fight your way through this. Um, for the folks, particularly in the lower income end of the scale. This has been a devastating, not just virus in terms of the public health toll, but the economic uh, toll uh, it has taken. Yeah, and even those, some of us who are lucky enough to uh, be able to work from home and, you know, haven't been hurt economically by the pandemic, uh, we're watching our kids just basically devolve, uh, you know, a lot of kids with depression, yeah. a lot of kids who are just not doing well with the learning. I have a middle schooler who, uh, you know, it's just I know that there are lots and lots of kids at his middle school who just are coming and going out of in and out of class on their yeah. Zoom meetings. And uh, the, grade, hard, the grades are not good. Let me just tell folks what the numbers are right now of all the districts and schools that we oversee as a state. 513 of them are in hybrid uh, 164 are all remote, and each of those have to have a date and a plan by which they'll at least get to hybrid. 97 are completely in person, 37 are some combination, so depending on the, the actual building. Um, so we're seeing a migration pretty meaningful over the past number of weeks from remote to hybrid, and that's a good start and step in the right direction. Um, and it's going to be harder, honestly, to go from hybrid to full in-person uh, because you just, you know, you, 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 we just don't have the physical space in these buildings to accommodate social distancing and whatnot, forgetting about whatever challenges there may be with things like ventilation systems. Um, and it, it, it's, a, it's not a normal school year. There's just no other way to put it. Uh, please, God, we get through this as fast as we can. That vaccine comes, more than one potentially come. I believe that'll be the case, by the way, that they're safe, that they work, that they come sooner than later. And that allows us to get back, maybe not entirely back to normal, but a lot closer to normal than not. 
I have one more COVID-related question, and then we're going to move to uh, marijuana because we're going to run out of time, and I want to make sure we get there. Um, So WNYC has been following the historic release of 2,000 prisoners last week. Our reporters found that there was minimal preparation to help people re-enter society. People were dropped at uh, train stations who had nowhere to go. They didn't even know where they were in some cases. Only a tiny percentage of prisoners received a non-driver's ID from the MVC so that they could access welfare services or checks or get health insurance. Uh, um, So, and prisoners weren't connected with shelters or social service agencies. Uh, Another thousand prisoners are about to be released in the coming weeks. So is your administration doing anything to improve the process for these releases? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I I say with all due respect, and I'm not, I'm not debating Nancy, whether or not there are not examples of what you've just laid out. And if there are, and you know who they are, I'd like to get our team to get to you uh, to go to literally get the individuals' names uh, and address it. Uh, Jim McGreevy, one of my predecessors, has devoted this latest chapter in his life almost exclusively to reentry. And the note that Jim and I exchanged on the night of the release, this is last Wednesday, was, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but essentially it went a heck of a lot better than we were prepared for. That doesn't mean it's necessarily perfect. But absolutely, this was a multi-remains, a multi-government department uh, full-on effort. This is not just Department of Corrections. This is children and family. This is human services. Uh, This is uh, clearly law enforcement. There's a whole range of elements of government are involved, and I'm not suggesting we necessarily bat at a 1,000, but the overall experience we are committed to, and we know we can't throw people into the ether, that that we absolutely... Uh, face recidivism, never mind public health or other um, other uh, ch- challenges. Folks should also, Nance, one, you didn't ask me why we did it, but I want to make sure folks understand that real quick. This was, uh, you know, our prison population is among the most vulnerable populations in the state as it relates to public health and COVID. These uh, prisoners were let out um, on a program that basically uh, gives them credits for uh, up until X date from now that when they otherwise would have in any event been released. So no one who's been released, for instance, would have otherwise served beyond next July 6th. These are folks, they weren't murderers, they're not aggravated to sexual assault, they, and, and they also were in any event going to leave our system. We have people leave our system all the time. These folks were, were, were to have left it no later than next July 6th. They were given credit to get them out, and God willing, and again, I want to address each and one of these cases you've raised, um, they, they were uh, let go early, uh, and, and God willing, in a way that allows them to find a safety net and, uh, and, and reclaim their space in society. Okay, so let's talk about marijuana. And I believe, um, Joe Hernandez, I think you have a social question on marijuana. Yes, this is from Jeff in Somerville. He says, if I have a marijuana possession charge currently in the state courts, what will happen after the new laws are passed? Is it Jeff? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get someone again. Dan Bryan is on and make sure, Dan, that you keep track of all these. I'll get someone to follow up with Jeff. I don't have the legislation yet on my desk, so I'm not going to give you a specific answer, um, but we want to get this right. Uh, I got to supporting this uh, because of social justice, or I should say social injustice. 
the overwhelming amount of persons. Uh, we have the widest. We inherited, you've heard me, Nancy, say this before, the widest white, non-white uh, persons gap in, in persons incarcerated in America when we came into office. And the biggest overwhelming reason is low-end drug offenses. Uh, this goes a long way uh, toward uh, a, a brighter and better day forward. Yes, was, is it an economic driver? Does it create jobs, revenue for the state? Yes, all that's good, but that's not the principal reason. Uh, secondly, the Attorney General made a statement last week, and I believe, I don't want to speak for him, I think a directive is forthcoming on how how uh, marijuana will be prosecuted in the interim period that we have before us. And, uh, and the word that, I, that he used, and I want to underscore triply, is discretion. Uh, there, there needs to be a wide range uh, of, di- of spectrum of discretion. Um, uh, my uh, Tammy's uncle was killed eight days before the end of World War II when it was quite clear the war was about to end within a matter of days. I, I don't want, given the, the price we've paid from the war on drugs, uh, none of us should want uh, someone else's life being ruined uh, as we're in the process of legalizing. Okay, we have a call from Keith from Branchburg. Keith, you're on the line with uh, Governor. Hi, Governor. Hey, Keith. Hi. Hi. Um, my question about marijuana pertains to um, driving while impaired. And um, as uh, Governor, as you noted, um, there's, uh, there's, there's a, we don't want to be uh, late. To, you know, we don't want to see it. We don't want to um, be late to the game here with all with a, uh, all these people have suffered, and my my question is about prosecution of these cases. And we have um, DWI cases have a BAC. It's very easy to test for someone when they're impaired by alcohol because we have a legal limit in New Jersey. But does New Jersey do, do, do you, Your Honor, or uh, does the legislature intend to impose some sort of legal limit to assist law enforcement with uh, prosecution of driving while impaired cases, yeah, especially but- now that? there probably will be more marijuana use. Yeah, I mean, Keith, this is uh, a question that our law enforcement brothers and sisters have raised from day one, and it's a legitimate one. So uh, not only are we awaiting the legislation, and I say awaiting implies that uh, it's late, it's being worked on, we're part of that, and I hope it comes to, to my desk sooner than later. But we're also standing up a commission, Keith, that will oversee both the medical and recreational adult use piece here. I say adult use, I want to make sure everyone knows this is 21 and up. And by the way, for the folks who are opposed to this, uh, I also want to remind everybody that that we're not inventing marijuana. As Keith implied in your question, it's in our society. Uh, The question is, can we control it, regulate it, uh, and address those social injustices? And this will allow us to do that. So setting up that commission. I just named its chair on Friday, its executive director. Diana Huenu Diana is the chair, has deep experience, uh, and uh, Jeff Brown is going to be the executive director. We'll name more commissioners. The Senate president and speaker will each name a commissioner. Um, one of the big parts, Keith, of their mission is to not only get the equity right and set this industry up, uh, but also learn from the other states that have gone before us. Uh, and driving uh, under the influence or driving while impaired is high on the list of figuring out which states. I, I always say I'm glad we're doing it, but I'm, uh, I'm glad, Nancy, we're not the first state to do it because everybody's made mistakes. Uh, everybody's done some smart things. We want to get as close to batting a 1,000 as possible, and this is a, this is a good example of what's high on that list. 
You know, you mentioned, you know, other states have come before us. There's been a debate the last couple of days about whether what the legislature is contemplating and putting together, whether they're going to tax marijuana enough. Um, and that compared to other states, I think Oregon's at a 17 percent sales tax. Colorado has a 15 percent excise plus a 15 percent sales. So is there a line by which you won't go under? Like, do you have a an amount in your mind of what kind of taxation you want to see? No, I wouldn't say that, Nance, but the referendum that was passed, by the way, by the voters overwhelmingly, I mean, two to one uh, huge margin, which did not surprise me because that's the public sentiment, was pretty clear that the sales tax at the point of purchase can't be above the sales tax in the state and that the municipality has the option to add on uh, something, a plus-up, which is something we've always supported. I support in addition to that, up the food chain at the cultivation level, an excise tax. Uh, I'm not necessarily married to the number, uh, but I am married to the notion uh, that we need that. And, and, and part B of that is, and I think the legislature is, is also supportive of this, there should be a good chunk of the money that goes to the state that in some form or fashion addresses the inequities that the war on drugs uh, created. And, and that needs to be uh, if not explicitly, at least notionally, part of where those proceeds go. Okay. We're going to try to squeeze in one more call. Ennis from Long Branch, you're on the line with the governor. Uh, hi, Governor. Hey, sir. I, I voted for the um, marijuana legalization, but with a lot of trepidation. Uh, and the reason is that I'm worried that it's going to explode drug addiction. So I would urge you and the legislature to pass that law so that the money, first and for- foremost, goes to treating drug addiction, yep. free and on demand, as well as for mental health uh, uh, services that are related to yep. drug addiction, and also a retraining of uh, people who have been um, convicted, rather than making a set-aside for the black community so that they can, uh, you know, be part of the industry rather than um, treating drug addiction. That should be the focus. Okay, thank you. I I appreciate that. I mean, I I think, um, again, we're not inventing marijuana, so this exists. The question is, can we regulate it and control it? I'll leave aside the the debate, the age-old debate on is it a gateway drug or not. Again, I I get there on social justice, uh, and I think some of the programs that that, that Ennis just uh, highlighted Mental health, by the way, we already spend an enormous amount of energy on that. COVID has made that worse. Opioid programs, which we spend $100 million at least a year on, it's been a challenge. Gotten better of late, uh, I'm happy to say, but still we're far from out of the woods. Too many folks are still dying. Um, and, again, we got to take care of the communities that have paid the biggest price uh, from, from the fallout of the war on drugs. What would you say, Governor, is the hardest thing that will, you know, what's going to take the longest and be the hardest thing to get this up and running? I'm not sure there's any one thing, Nance. Um, People have asked me, when do you think you'll be able to walk into a dispensary uh, and and actually purchase? And I said, it, it could be as much as a year from now. I hope it isn't. But getting this right out of the blocks is so important. I said to the chair and the executive director, Every chair, every commissioner, forever and always will be important, but n- none more so than the, the, the first wave and the executive director the same. I think if the, med- the medical um, dispensaries can prove they've got enough supply for their patients and they've got excess, it could come sooner than that. 
because people will be able to buy retail at the medical dispensaries. They, they will, but, they, they, but we got to be very careful. We've come a long way in our three, first three years in office on, on expanding the medical reality to more patients, more conditions, more okay. doctors. We can't cut into that. Thank you so much. We'll have to leave it there. Governor Murphy, thanks for joining us tonight. You've been listening to Ask Governor Murphy, a WBGO news production in collaboration with WHYY and WNYC. The show is produced by Doug Doyle with help from Jeanette Woods, Sean Bowditch, Joseph Capriglione, Joe Hernandez. I'm Nancy Solomon. Thanks for listening. This is Ask Governor Murphy. Ask Governor Murphy.